Success has to be about fulfillment. And for me, it's very important. Fulfillment is, is absolutely critical. Um, and so that success, that fulfillment for me would be to, uh, would to be to, to raise a, a generation of people that really do care about other people and and lead in the best way possible and manage those organizations to create these, these great places to work and also deliver the strategy. The Tump Screen podcast is owned and made possible by Ethical Marketing Service. If your business is struggling with Google or Facebook ads, maybe you're frustrated figuring it out or there's a performance issue, Ethical Marketing Service has worked on hundreds of accounts and we can help in this area. We offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and for every direct account we look after, we sponsor a child in a developing nation with food, water and education. If you would like to find out if we can help, it's a free no salesy consultation call and the link is in the description. Enjoy the episode. Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the episode today, we have Julian Chapman. Julian, welcome. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. Would you like to take a moment and tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. No, I appreciate that. Well, um, so we at Forest and Company, I'm the president of Forest and Company here in Toronto, Canada. And um, uh, what we like to say is, is that we help create great places to work that achieve the strategy of the organization. And so we do that through uh, training, coaching and consulting around organizational design and how do you actually get the best out of your leaders in order to create that great place for people to work at and that at the same time achieves the strategy. And it's that tension between a great place to work, which takes care of the people, and then delivering the strategy on the other hand, which is the task side. And so we try to carefully balance that. And I'm the author of the book, uh, The Managerial Leadership Journey. So that's just a recent uh, a recent addition to the, the forest stable. And uh, so that's uh, that's what I've been focusing my energy on of late, uh, at any rate. So, thank you for the introduction. Um, I did want to focus a little bit about the book and also sort of your writing journey. So, would you like to um, tell the listeners a little bit about your book and what you wanted to convey? Well, that's, thank you. That's a, it's a, this is a great opportunity to sort of speak to what I was hoping to to convey in the book and. Um, and that is, is that I suppose first and foremost is, is it's referred to as the managerial leadership journey. So it's about this, this connection between management and leadership. All too often in the, uh, in the sort of the, the thinking that is out there, the books that are out there, they talk about how great leadership is and, and how you don't want to be a manager and all this sort of stuff. And what I'm trying to do is trying to create that understanding that you actually have to be able to do both. And so managerial leadership is the connection of people and task. I mean, to be truly effective, you need to be able to deliver the tasks whilst having a positive impact on people. So you have to be managing that tension between task and people. So, So that's what I was intending to do with the book was sort of raise the stature of this, this notion of managerial leadership. But part of it is, is that, uh, that a lot of the books also focus solely on how do you lead your team? How do you manage your team? And uh, what I've noticed is there's a real gap in 
in uh, the discourse around managerial leadership, around how do you manage managers or lead leaders? And so the book is designed for those that are in a role where they are actually managing managers or leading leaders and, and how to do that. And in particular, this is important because it's, it's actually where you do create great places to work. It's through good management. And it's not about the managers themselves being great. That's, that's important, but they also have to be led well. And so the sort of the last, the last piece of this and why it's called the managerial leadership journey is, is that it's, it's not a one and done thing. All too often, what happens is, is that we start our careers as finance experts or operations experts or you name it. And that sort of becomes our foundation. But as we move up, we have to be able to manage the tension between task and people. And so, in fact, our work is actually around managing the tension between task and people and that we can't just rely on our technical expertise. And the journey part of this is, is that it's a lifelong journey. Based on my experience, uh, both as a leader uh, in, uh, in the Canadian military, which is part of my background, but also in working with uh, all sorts of different clients, this is, became clear to me that this is a journey. It's not a one and done thing. And it's not about doing managerial leadership on the, the side of your desk, so to speak, where, you know, I'm going to focus on my technical expertise. I really have to take that and really work at that throughout my career. So it's not just about taking a course and, you know, check, uh, you know, we've checked the box and away we go kind of thing. It's that we actually have to work at it. And who better to help us work at it than our own managers? That, so that my boss is actually helping me on the journey. So that's what I was trying to convey with the book. Um, and within the within it, uh, not only some of the conceptual constructs, but then a number of tools that from a leadership standpoint that we need to be able to do and from a management standpoint that we need to be able to do. So that's uh, that's uh, that's the essence of the book, um, and it's um, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey learning about uh, how books are made. It's kind of like you know how the sausage is made. You don't necessarily really want to know <laughs> how it's made, but uh, but you learn along the way, kind of thing. Well, thank you for that. Um, I did. There's a couple of things I wanted to follow up on, and that is you touched upon the should we say the topic of people who categorize those two things but don't necessarily see how they tie together or don't speak about that and i have been i don't know whether you'd say guilty of should we say uh, saying that i'm one thing or not and not another i've said before i'm i'm not a good manager or i'm not a manager but i i perhaps might be a leader would you say that that's maybe uh, self-imposed limitations or do you think that uh people are suited to those different roles well, it's it's interesting you say that, Thomas, because um, certainly, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back to my military background for a moment. And uh, and the German army used to have a brilliant system where they developed young officers and they were either streamed to be leaders or they were streamed to be staff officers. So in other words, they really focused on their task orientation or their people orientation. 
And, and I think we, we do get ourselves into what do I prefer to do? But part of the issue when we're in roles where we are to be managerial leaders, we have to recognize that I may have a tremendous strength of being a great leader, but I've also got to do some of that managerial stuff. The, 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 the tasks, the task aspects of the work. So planning the work, making the decisions, organizing things, structuring the work. Because, and particularly as you go further up in your career, you have less and less chance of actually leading people. And more and more, you have to set the conditions. So it's, it can be a bit self-imposed, but it's also that I need, I need the help to actually move myself along and recognize my strengths and limitations. Uh, so it's a bit of, uh, you know, I, I, I suppose I've, I've spoken out of both sides of my mouth on that, on that response in the sense that uh, you have to recognize your strengths and limitations, but you really have to try and build that, that, that muscle up to, to do either one or the other. And, and I often see it actually the opposite direction. Thomas, as you see it all the time in organizations. I got into IT, for example, you know, using uh, IT professionals because I really don't want to have to deal a lot with people. I'm much more interested in technology and things like that. So they struggle to do the leadership side. So we have to put the emphasis on developing their leadership skills. Um, by the same token, I'm a great sales guy and I love pressing the flash. I need to focus on my management skills. It's not just about my interrelationship and having great conversations with people. I got to be structured in how I do that in order to be truly successful. So. The simplistic summary that I take from that is um, you, it's kind of a bit of both, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> that would have been a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have been a very good podcast guest with, with that particular answer, though, would I? Um, <laughs> but you, you also mentioned in your answer about um, the fact that the higher up you go, uh, the more likely you are to be managing the managers. And uh, I just thought in my head that's so true and um is you more likely get that um insight from experience than you do from theory so is that something that you learned that you wanted to take over yeah so it's um the the further up you go uh well the the closer you get to that that radiant sun that we call strategy right so you're 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 trying to get to that point of strategy which is what do we want to be as an organization and so you need to then be able to articulate the strategy. And that's the work that we actually do is help our clients to articulate their strategy. But then you need to be able to structure it. And so in structuring that, you that is very much a management function. And far too often we see in our clientele that they've been rather slipshod in how they've structured things. Um, the old adage that we use is, is that the... The structure comes from the strategy, not the strategy from the structure. But all too often we have Joe, Sue, Phil, Deborah. What are we going to have them do versus this is where we're taking the business. This is the direction that we're going. Now let's see which of those four is best suited for this particular role and which of these four is best suited for that particular role. And that's that's a critic that is a critical management function, and it gets left off the list, the to-do list of many senior executives, many CEOs, 
uh, that we've seen and that that they really have to be able to do that work because that will create a great place to work where there's clarity. And I know what I know what kind of sandbox I have. I, you know, I'm in this sandbox. I'm able to maneuver around. I got all my toys in the sandbox. And if I need to get other things for my sandbox, I can go, I know who to go to to get that rather than either being, you know, immense and unable to maneuver in the sandbox. In other words, I've been given a role that's too small for me, or I've been left in the middle of the Sahara where I'm not sure where to go and what to do. And so that that part of management is so critical at the at the upper echelons inside the organization is about really structuring the work and then letting people just get on with it. You know, tell them what you need them to do, what's the end state, and leave them to use their creativity and to grow and to develop and to work through it on their own. It's about is there it, anything it is, that you that you learned from writing the book that you didn't know beforehand? That's a great question. Um, well, there's <laughs> certainly a lot about writing books. Um, but uh, but aside from that, I, I think on reflection, um, you know, we uh, we in Canada have a have a similar a similar tradition to to sort of downplay uh, our relationship with the military. And so it actually forced me to talk about the things that I never talked about, which is my military career, um, and and how that how that in fact had colored my view on the importance of managerial leadership, um, the importance of the relationship between the, the actually more than a relationship, the the sacrosanct covenant, as I refer to it, between the leader and the led. That um, it really it really painted that now. You know, no organization is perfect, and perfectionism is one of the things I, I learned is a dangerous path. Down. And that, uh, uh, so so I think it, it it was a journey. It was a journey of reflection, and uh, I suppose ironically, I've tried to create the book in such a way to get leaders to reflect. So at the end of each chapter, there's a series of questions to get them to, to pause and think about what's been talked about. And so in my doing that, I was also reflecting. So it, it, it was a huge learning for me as well about all those, all those preconceived notions that, uh, that were lurking in the back of my mind about some of these constructs. So if you were to say maybe a couple of principles that you've learned um, on leadership or management from the military, what would you share? Well, I, I talk about it as being the enlightened leader. So, so I'll talk about the leadership side, then I'll talk about the management side. But, but particularly from the military, I learned what I refer to as the enlightened leader. And enlightened leadership is about three things. It's about being authentic. You have to be true to yourself. You absolutely have to be true to yourself. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you talk about, talk about ethical uh, marketing, you talk about ethics and integrity is absolutely critical and really having an understanding of who am I. And, and I've seen that, I certainly learned that through the military because, you know, I tried to, I tried to be everything to everyone and that was very inauthentic. So, Understanding what my strengths and limitations are, but I also see that uh, that in our in my coaching practice and uh, and working with uh, with leaders that 
they're often believing that they should be someone that they're not, that they should demonstrate this. Um, it's one of the dangers of all of these leadership books back there. They say, you need to be this, you need to be that. I suppose I'm adding to that, uh, that sort of uh, deluge, but, um, but it's, it's about you need to understand who you are and what is your purpose and why are you here and those sort of things. So that's the nature of authentic leadership. The second one is one that's uh, very common in parlance right now, which is servant leadership. Uh, servant leadership is all about the care and concern for the people that are doing the work for you. And I see that there is a, there is a lack of servant leadership for sure. And uh, it's one of the things you learn uh, very early in the military. And uh, uh, you know the um, the the adage is very true. It's uh, it's embedded in uh, in junior officers that they eat after the troops eat because they're the ones that are going to fight the fight on your behalf. So you need to keep them prepared, good to go, primed, ready, you know, well cared for. And that's the essence of servant leadership. So, so authentic leadership, servant leadership, and then the third one is transformational leadership. And this one, uh, this one, I, I suppose I, it came through a lot more reflection because it's not necessarily how the military sees things. Um, but that, that it came through reflection that, that you have to realize that the people that are coming to you to work for you and work with you are not fully formed. There isn't the mag, the, uh, the unicorn is, as it's referred to out there that you're just going to be able to bring in. They have all the skills, all the knowledge. They're going to be perfect into the role. They're just not there. That's not to denigrate them. It's that your role as the leader is to develop them and to transform them. And, and so in transformational leadership is, the, is rooted the foundation of continuous improvement. Continuous improvement is the, the attitude of transformation, and it's the attitude that every enlightened leader has to have in their in in their viewpoint because they have to be focusing on continuously improving the capability of their team the 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 work that is being done they need to be looking for opportunities for continuous improvement all of these sort of things and they need to engage their people in that in that dialogue around continuous improvement because those at the coal face are going to see the opportunities long before the leader does. So there has to be that open and honest dialogue uh, to make that work. So that's the essence of enlightened leadership, authentic servant and transformation. Can I ask about the last one? Because um, I, sure. per, from, from a personal perspective, I think uh, continuous improvement, great principle. And um, I also think it's, I don't know, good from a well-being perspective perspective a stumbling block that I, I from a thought process perspective is that sometimes when uh, in business education um, people will say about sort of systems and processes um, in order to let your business function in the smoothest way for example now, it might be just my thinking on it um, but what do you think about the potential conflict between asking someone to do something a certain way in order for it to be streamlined if you like versus always looking to improve have you got any thoughts around that topic well i i think 
I think the most important thing is to engage your people. So, uh, so what do you think about doing it this way? Uh, is, is, is just as important. Um, one of the things that, that I talked about in the book and that we talk about with all of our clients is the accountability of every employee to give their manager their best advice. And best advice is the, is the, the root. It's the germ. It's the, well, I guess germ's probably a bad term. It's the seed of continuous improvement because I'm working on this and I see this opportunity for that it can be done better. It can be done faster, smarter, whatever the case may be. Now there's the, there is the tension, I suppose, between, uh, between designated process improvement, right? And, and, uh, where we're bringing in a, a new process. And, and of course, employees are going to go, Oh, that's uncomfortable because I'm used to the way we always did it. That's a natural human reaction. So part of it is, uh, and I talked a little bit about this in the book is, is that you can't just rely on your authority to make that happen. You have to be able to sell it to your employees. Now, you're not going to be able to sell uh, at 100% of the time, uh, you know, particularly if you're having to change things in such a way that you're going to have to downsize or, or you know, any of those sort of difficult situations. But, but you need to be able to sell it from the standpoint of how it, how it helps the individual to meet their needs and wants. Now, the question is, is that it may be the strategy's need and want and not necessarily the individual's need and want. But this is where that tension between creating a great place to work and delivering on the strategy becomes, once again, it's something that has to be has to be dealt with. So, uh, so you have to be able to, to sell on as best you can, but sometimes you're not going to be able to get it to 100%. It really is about, I guess, managing the tension between those two things. Uh, and, 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 and everything is about managing tension. You know, tension seeks resolution. And so managing and keeping those two constructs there. But if you, if you are going to ram it down their throats without any engagement of the, the employees, then you're going to have a disengaged uh, group of employees. And so you have to realize that I have to be able to manage this tension between the task and the people. It's still the same. It's, just, it's effectively the same tension, um, just in a different, just in a different form. I'm not sure. Did that did that capture that, Thomas, or was it? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say thank you for the clarification. And I, I interrupted. You're about to go on to the uh, the management principles from from the book. Well, the so the, the management principles are are fairly straightforward, and that is, um, it, it, it's I have to be able to uh, to to do what we do refer to as the ABCDs. I have to be able to align my team. So. I have to set context, I have to plan the work, and I have to and I have to establish how the team is going to work together. I have to be able to build the team, so find the right people for the team. And and when there are those situations where I think I found the right person, they've been working at it, but they just haven't quite got it, I have to be prepared that I need to remove them from that role and find them a better role, or ultimately, you know, remove them from the organization. I need to be able to connect with them. So I need to be able to monitor, coach, and assess their effectiveness in the work that they do. And most importantly, and and, and at the core to the engaged manager, 
is this notion of accountability. And accountability is driven through delegation. So I establish what I'm going to give you as an end state I need you to deliver. How you go about getting to that is up to you, but I have to establish for you what is the end state because that piece of work is actually coming from the strategy, or it should be at any rate. So it, it integrates as a whole. So that's that's the essence of the engaged manager. And and the point around the engaged manager is, is that I have to I have to be focused on accountability. I have to define what is the work and what is the expectation of the work. I can't. Uh, as we refer to it, is leave it to your sense of responsibility, your personal feeling of obligation. I mean, it's great to have a sense of responsibility, but we're not all the same. We are all diverse. And so as the leader and as the manager, I have to define what are the expectations, because otherwise we'll do things very differently and we'll, we'll have very differing attitudes as to how we're engaged and how we're not engaged. So this accountability framework is critical. And I would argue that the challenges that we see in our society today are the direct results of the lack of accountability. People are not being held to account. A very interesting point to end with. And I, all I was going to say was how so. <laughs> <laughs> well, because people are not being held to account. The, the application of accountability is not occurring. and. And, and, you know, in, well, you see it in, in small microcosms inside organizations where people out of their sense of responsibility, and it's, and it's a good sense of responsibility are, are just going off and doing whatever they feel they need to do. And that goes all the way up to, you know, whether it's government or whatever the case may be, they are not being held to account. They're not being held to account at the ballot box. So it's, so it's a, it, it's a small construct, but a very big construct. Best way I define it is that the difference between accountability and responsibility is, have you ever seen a, uh, a, a group of 11-year-olds playing football? Or as in North America, unfortunately, we call it soccer. But, you know, what, what do you see? You see a, a bunch of them are clustered around the ball. You see some are picking flowers. You see some whose parents have taught them that they they have to get out there and score at all costs. And they're not going to pass the ball back to anybody else. They're just going to run with that ball and go. That's what happens when we live in our society just based on responsibility, where the individual is king or queen. Whereas accountability, you have a professional football team where everybody knows their position and they pass the ball back and forth. And when we score, we score as a team not as an individual. So it's a simple analogy, but it's, and I apologize, it's a sports analogy, but uh, but I, I think it gets the difference. We're very good at defining responsibility and accountability outside of work in those two ways. But when it gets into work, we just kind of mesh them all together. So it's, it's about really driving home that accountability. And that's what the engaged manager does. Have you um, given any thought as to why uh, this particular topic over any of the other sort of topics that you could have written about? Well, uh, this is kind of the starting point, I suppose, is the, is the, uh, the best way to describe it. I, I've spent a lot of my time um, working on how we think in the workplace. So, so uh, 
but the, the foundational piece is how are we set up to actually manage and lead in the workplace? And then, then we can talk about, so I guess I'm giving you an answer, probably the next book, which is about thinking. Although I do talk about thinking, uh, in this book, but, but it's, it's, it's about how do you set up the, the conditions where people can be their best? And then the being their best is where they, they, the true diversity of us comes out. Is actually in our thinking. I mean, ultimate diversity is about diversity of thought. It is the it is the essence of diversity. So you have to set up the conditions where that diversity can flourish. And so that's that's I think why I wrote the book. Um, plus, it was probably easier to write that because it's something that I've been doing for a long time, and, and so it, it sort of it sort of flowed. It was a natural flow from. From the work that I've done and also my own experiences. And any uh, any feedback that you're, should we say, particularly proud or of, or is significant to you? Um, well, it's uh, the books. It's early days yet. Um, I, I suppose the fact that it sold out on its first day in Canada and the UK um, is either indicative of it, it was very popular or they didn't have that many copies. Uh, even though they were pre-ordered. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's really the, the essence of it is, uh, is a book to, to, to be the foundation uh, from which one can, can launch our own journey. So it doesn't, you know, it's just to give a, a foundational piece and then, and then you go and you build on that and, and you create your own journey along the way. But, the essence is to just sort of keep at it and not to uh, not to let it go and and just say, okay, well, I read that book, now I'm done. Well, congratulations on uh, on that because uh, I think if you if you've sold out, uh, let's say the the amount that you ordered or sold out a significant amount, it means that you've done. Should we say you've achieved more than most authors? I would say um, you did uh, mention that it's kind of an ongoing. Um, kind of forget the, the words that you use, kind of an ongoing process, not like a checking the box type thing. And I think it is um, an, an admirable thing to highlight because I think a lot of internet activity around, around these topics is kind of like, all you have to know is this, you know, there's just this principle that you need to, to know and, and you, nothing else. So have, you, have you got any thoughts that arise from that? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that, Thomas, because, uh, one of the things that, uh, that was important to me is, is to create a universal, uh, approach rather than uh, so many of the books tend to go into a particular area or a particular experience of the individual. And I've tried to create a universal approach rather than going down one particular path. And I think social media has, has focused us on that one particular path with however many characters you can get in a social media message or whatever the case may be, but it's really narrowed our focus. And um, we're not as expansive in our thinking as, as we used to be. Um, and that, uh, and then of course the, the simple fact that if I like that thing, then it immediately acts as a magnet and, and everything else I see now is all about that. And it just keeps reinforcing reinforcing that particular that particular perspective there will be some that uh, that read through the book and go that's not my perspective that's not that's not how i see the world um and uh, and that's understandable i mean that's 
you know, that's, that's, that's part of it. It's uh, in the, in the work that we do, sometimes we say we're, we're actually uh, not teaching you something new. We're helping you to unlearn what you learned before. And that uh, our experiences have, have created a, a perspective. So, so it's about, it's about how do I broaden my thinking out uh, and look at things much more holistically than, than my, than my narrow focus. I suppose would be the, the way to describe that. And do you have anything to share on um, for those who feel like they've got a book in them, the promotional side of it? Because for me, it's almost 50-50 in the sense that, yes, you do have to create it. But if you create it and you can't promote it, it doesn't get in front of anyone. Well, I uh, it's um, very much so. I think, in fact, uh, arguably, the packaging of the book is almost bigger than the book itself because because otherwise you know people people will come and go there'll be people that enjoy it there'll be people that don't enjoy it so you need to be able to reach a broad perspective and uh, and we've got a good team here that uh that went out and 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 found the right people uh to to help launch the book um and it was a, it was a little bit of an investment but um but uh, they did. Uh, Pristine Lee did a magnificent job in uh, in in launching uh, launching her book, um, and uh, and and so it was worth it from that standpoint. And it became clear to me that was part of the you know part of the learning about the book is it's not necessarily about how good the book is; it's about how well does it get launched, which is kind of frightening. I have to. <laughs> Are you proud of what you created? I am. I am. It's. Um, I will say to any budding authors, um, be aware because there is that there is that moment of, oh my gosh, I should have said this or I should have added that and why and can I redo it? And uh, whereas I just had to say, okay, that's it, you know, cut it, it's gone, because uh, it could have gone on and on and on because uh, I would have found something else. And there's there's some things that uh, I would do differently. Save it for the second edition or third edition or fourth edition if you forgot something so well it leads us nicely onto your writing process so have you got anything to share there well uh i set myself um a crazy a crazy set of uh, goals for writing this so i wrote a chapter a week uh and i i actually managed to stick to that although i think i managed there was one where uh, it, it, I didn't send it out until the Wednesday, but I meant more or less I stuck to it and it was a matter of sticking to it. Um, and finding the right time to write, uh, that works for your, for your own thinking rhythm is, uh, was something that I learned along the way as well. Um, I always thought I was you know, bright and fresher in the morning, but actually I found I was writing until two and three in the morning. Um, because I, I would find that writing at the end of the day actually worked better for me than, than writing in the morning. There's too many things looking at, you know, stare out the window. It's much better to do it in darkness. So you don't get distracted and, and those sort of things. And, and get yourself a coach. I had a tremendous coach, uh, Susanna DeBoer, who, uh, who kind of helped me along the way and, um, and sort of said, Hey, that doesn't make sense. Which comes up quite often every now and again uh, in those early drafts, and uh, and this makes sense. She actually convinced me to write a, an additional chapter that I hadn't planned on, um, that um, you know, where I where I talk about the difference between strategic 
operational and tactical. Because we talk about strategic and tactical all the time, but we forget the operational level and understanding how do you take the strategy and operationalize it and then provide the direction from the operational into the tactical to get it done. So, and that's part of my military background, but uh, uh, that, that sort of found its way into the into the book, uh, surprisingly, because as I said, it wasn't where I planned or something that I planned on initially, but the, the germination was there. So having a coach helps too. Have you got a favorite part of the book at all? Uh, a favorite part? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think where I talk about the, the tools for, uh, for leaders, uh, and the tools for managers. So the last two chapters are a set of, um, management tools and a set of leadership tools. And, um, and that's where I got into some of the topics that are important to me personally. Um, like, uh, so in the lead, you know, one of the examples in the leadership side is leader self care. Um, in my spare time, I'm a vice chair of a, a post traumatic stress disorder, uh, charity here in Canada. Um, and, and so I've become, I've become cognizant of the, the impact of, of stress on individuals and stress on leaders in particular. And so we need to be, we need to be healthy in mind and healthy in body, uh, in order to be truly effective leaders. So leader self care is, uh, is an important one. And, and I don't think, I think we're talking more about it, but, uh, but it is, it is absolutely critical. And it's something that I learned in the military because if you're not, if you're not on your game, uh, there can be disastrous results. Um, just as, you know, when you're physically healthy, uh, you can withstand the shocks of stress. On the management side, uh, the whole notion of communications, I am surprised, um, how communications has fallen apart, uh, in organizations. Um, and it's, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I argue that part of it is the, uh, the mistake of, uh, of uh, getting rid of the memo because it took you time to type the memo and then it had to be sent over. Whereas now I can text you, I can email you <laughs> and, and I don't have to worry about what I'm doing. I just sort of fling things at you. And, uh, and so, you know, that's just a simple case of it, but, but it's really becoming problematic. I know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm often wondering, oh, why isn't my client getting back to me? But I realize that they're dealing with you know, upwards of 400, 500 emails a day. And just triaging that uh, is, uh, is impossible for them. So we have to get better at how we communicate. We have to create the rhythm where we communicate. So how does that actually work? And, and when do we have meetings and when do we not have meetings, especially now that, um, that people are working from home? COVID's taught us you know, magnificence of this type of technology, but it only goes so far. And, you know, you have to jump from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. There's no time to breathe in all of that. And that has a direct impact on our effectiveness as, as managers, because we're just jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting. I saw, uh, and I was playing this to one of my uh, CEO clients the other day, and just watching when his team came together, how they were all focused in the room because they were all in the room. But when they're online, they're doing others. 
So they're, they're not focused. So this, this technology has been great. I don't know what we would have done uh, had COVID been 10 years earlier because we wouldn't have had this technology and businesses would have had to figure out, I don't know, bring back passenger pigeons or whatever uh, to be able to communicate. But, um, but it's now it's just where we're inundated with communication and we need to get yeah, smarter. It's an interesting concept because, um, it is about the, the ability to communicate with each other has, I mean, there's so many different ways you can do it, but it almost has meant that the quality of that communication has gone down. It's a really interesting, um, really interesting yes. thing to think about what you wish people take away from it. Is there anything that, that comes to mind for you there? Well, I, I think, I mean, there are, there are lessons while, whilst I wrote the book, focused on managers of managers and leaders of leaders. Um, others, there, there are lots of, there are lots of pieces, um, bits and pieces. Um, that's not just that they're shattered fragments or anything, but there, there are lots of things there for just, you know, a, a newly minted manager or someone who's, someone who's going into a management role um, or a leadership role for the first time. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces there. And I, I, I would really hope that that people take away that this is that this is a profession, managerial leadership. So we have a we have a profession of uh, you know in in mathematics and you know we have a profession in um, in human resources and all of these other professions. But we don't have a profession of the most common thing in all organizations, and that is managerial leadership. We don't see it as a profession. We see our tech, back to what I started beginning with, we see our technical expertise as our profession. We don't see that the care and feeding or the care and, and concern of the people that work for us is actually the most important, not only from the standpoint of the business, but for society in general. In fact, we just leave it to them. It's their sense of responsibility, right? It's back over to them. So, so really taking this job seriously, managerial leadership, um, would go so far in our society today. And that, uh, that we really need to, uh, we really need to get good at it and recognize that it's a journey. It's not a one and done. It's, uh, it's a, it's a journey. I, I open the, the book by referring to, as I have done with many of my clients, I refer them to the Odyssey by Homer. It is it is that it is that quintessential human journey, and that you learn along the way, and being able to reflect and think about that and understand that. And what have I learned? What did I learn today? I mean, just in this in this podcast alone, Thomas, you give me all sorts of already for me to reflect on and think about because those are some great questions. Well, I, I've certainly taken away that. Um... Perhaps the the memo should be reintroduced because it, it went away and I didn't even realize it. So, but um, thank you for for getting all your ideas down into into a, a format which is beneficial to other people. Do you have any goals for the book at all? Um, well, I, I just I hope it I hope it spurs on people to a dialogue around in their organizations around managerial leadership and how good are we at. It? And how important is it for us? There was a there was a burst of energy into leadership 
uh, with with COVID and with the pandemic. Um, and but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to last long. I think we'll get back to our old ways. And uh, so it's it's about it's about really having the conversations in our organization. Are we doing these things? We really are we really focused there? And getting those managers of managers and leaders of leaders to really start thinking about how well am I leading my people? How well am I leading these leaders to be great leaders for the organization? Or am I just getting through the day? And um, I asked you about uh, beforehand, that is a question I ask near the end, near the end of every episode, uh, what does success mean to you? Well, Success means to me, well, as success means to me, uh, fulfillment. And so, uh, cause I think often we talk, uh, we talk about success as a, uh, as a, you know, as a, as a thing. It's about winning something or getting somewhere. Um, but, um, success has to be about fulfillment. And for me, it's, very important. Fulfillment is is absolutely critical. Um, and so that success, that fulfillment for me would be to uh would to be to to raise a, a generation of people that really do care about other people and and lead in the best way possible and manage those organizations to create these these great places to work and also deliver the strategy. And that's what our world needs right now. So that's a lofty uh, that's a lofty sense of fulfillment. I'm not sure whether I'm going to get there, but um, but that's the intent. It's absolutely well, the, intent. the the typical question I ask after that is is based on that criteria. Would you say that you're a successful individual? <laughs> well, um, I know uh, um, I would say that I'm feeling more and more fulfilled. As time goes on, and with every interaction I have with our clients, I feel more and more fulfilled every day. Um, you know, there are good days and there are bad days. Obviously, we all have them. Um, but on the, uh, you know, if it's a ledger, it's more on the on the on the plus side than the negative side. So uh, it's, uh, but it it too is a journey. So it's ongoing. Well, congratulations again. Is there anything that I should have asked you about today? Uh, no, I, I, they, they were some, some brilliant questions there. That, uh, so thank you. I think uh, we've, we've certainly had a good, uh, a good exploration. And then I could just wave the book up at, at this point. A good exploration of the book. So that was, uh, that was tremendous. And, uh, All right, good. Well, um, thank you for the answers. Um, for people who do want to buy the book or to connect with you, where do they go? Uh, Amazon is uh, is carrying it. Uh, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, Amazon.uk. Uh, it's uh, it's available there. Um, it's uh, I think there there comes a tipping point where it sells really well online, and then you get it into bookstores. It's, I think how how this uh, how the system works. I'm learning, as I said. Uh, so uh, certainly available through that, and then. Uh, uh, we have a website for the book, which is the managerial leadership journey.com, uh, as well as forest and co, which is our business forest and co.com. Uh, so forest and company.com is our, our own business. So, uh, so I'm available there 
and feel free you know people to to reach out and and, and engage in the dialogue of your journey be, uh, be magnificent thank you for uh creating the book and for your contribution julian thank you very much well thank you very much thomas for having me on the on the show